There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Ah, Tom, another week, another week. Well, it's very interesting, Willie. Um, I can't wait to come on the radio and talk about all the nonsense that's happened <laughs> in the previous week. I think we should start with a wee bit of sad news um, this week, obviously, with the past of Nick Koonsberg, who we both know. He's a yes. prominent businessman for many, many years and, you know, done loads in support and mentorship, you know, that he offered to young entrepreneurs, you know, that were coming up in business. So it's a real, real sad week. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I knew Nick as a very supportive guy for Scottish entrepreneurs. He was deputy chair of SEPA, former chair of Social Investment Scotland. He was a governor of the Glasgow School of Art, but he's probably best known for his daughter, yes. Laura Kunzberg, being the BBC political correspondent. But yes, I was I was sorry to hear of, of Nick's passing and best to his family. Yeah, yeah, yes. Pass on our wishes to him. Yeah. So it's been a big it's been a big week with the Tory Party conference. Well, as you know, Willie, I don't get involved with um, party politics, so you've obviously been watching the telly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad I wasn't there. Yeah, no, but I think to be fair, it is obviously it's about politics. But what you see what it, what the implications are for business, and obviously the big big news is the HS2 project. You know the the, the stopping at Manchester of that project, and uh, it's interesting that you know that obviously, and we we touched on it a couple of weeks ago. But here is a learning for all governments now. Right. See, when you get involved in a major infrastructure project, right, and mostly everybody's flying off a seat of the pants because it's unprecedented and something that's never been done before. Yeah. And all the estimates that you get and everything and all the numbers that you think, what you, what history has showed you is it's always two or three times that. Right? <laughs> so, seriously, so when it started off at 27 billion, maybe ranging up to 30, now looking at 98 or something, whatever. And all the grief and the heartache for all of those people that didn't want to move their houses from the motorway that have all been compensated now. I seen a lady last night on the television crying, you know, and she was talking about it and she's saying that I just want to know if I can buy the land back, maybe try and put the house back. But the implications of this, and we said last week, if you want to level up, don't build main arteries that take you to various cities, right? Get, look to see how the local people might be able to help you in deciding how you spend that money more wisely. Yeah, well, I think way back when it was first conceived, if Boris Johnson had listened to the Go Radio Business Show, he might have learned a few things, Willie. But um, your your point about um, it's usually double the cost. I mean, when we're looking at investments and people come to us with business plans, I always have this rule of thumb. If it needs twice as much money and takes twice as long, would we still do it? <laughs> And I, I think the people trying to decide how to spend the great British taxpayers' money would really, I mean, my goodness, what a waste of money. But I would, I would defend Richie Sunak here a wee bit because since the pandemic, um, business travel has obviously changed and the railways have probably been hit the most. So the amount of people travelling on the railways for business has never recovered, and I don't think it ever will. So he's had a look at it, and he said, right, I'm going to stop this. It's going to go from London to Birmingham, and then we're stopping it. And the £36 billion, which we're going to save, which we, you could probably double now, is going to go into other projects. But a couple of questions. How are they ever going to get value for money from the London to Birmingham route and how are they going to spend this extra money? 
I despair about when governments try to spend this amount of money, Willie. I thought the one chuckle came from the Tory MP who is justifying the government's stance now in the retrenching when he said, I mean, who would want to get to Bradford 30 minutes earlier? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> but oh. the, one, the one bit of good news is, obviously, that he did mention that uh, you know, they're having a serious look at the upgrading of the A75 to improve the connections between Scotland and Northern Ireland. So, you know, in business terms, you know, that could be a bit of good news. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we, we had our own government here in 2007 said they were going to upgrade the A9. Well, we're still waiting on that. So maybe doing nothing has been the best political decision, Willie, because we've saved all that money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the, the sad thing about the Tory conference was, and just to finish on it, was that the far-right fringe meetings had more people attending them you know, it's, it, was, it was terrible to think that more people wanted to listen to Liz Trust talking than did Richie Sunak. That's worrying. So what is going on, Willie? Oh. I mean, I've just finished another book. I've been, I've been reading a lot of good books. This one was on the Murdoch family and it was talking about Fox News and Donald Trump. And, and I, I just thought, what has happened to the world of politics? I know that we've got the Go Radio Business Show and we said it last week, you know, the quality of people going into politics. Where is the great leaders? Where is the people to lead us out of these challenges we have today? I mean, sometimes it's not worth getting out from under the duvet, Willie. Well, yes, it's certainly been one of those weeks. And I, th I think also on the global uh, news, Tom, this week has been reported that there's a big, big jitter being going to send shockwaves throughout the world in relation to the, the, the bonds in Japan. Yeah, I mean, we do live in an interconnected global financial world. So when something happens in Japan, perhaps the listeners of this show will say, well, what does it matter to me trying to grow my business in um, Rutherglen or Aberdeen or Edinburgh? But it does because it affects the price we pay for borrowing money. And the the thing that's making people jittery in financial markets is that the prevailing thought now is that interest rates will stay higher for longer. Um, I don't think they're going to go go any higher, but I think they're going to stay at this level for a bit longer, and the markets don't really like that, Willie. Well, obviously, we've seen a wee bit of glimmer of hope with food prices falling, you know, like for the first time in two years. So maybe that gives us some light at the end of the tunnel in relation to inflation. And hopefully that will mean that the Bank of England will need to consider maybe dropping its rates. But I think that, you know, definitely rates beyond 4%, I think, are going to be with us for a long, long time to come. Yeah, I think so. And another wee wobble in financial markets this week, Willie, was Metrobank. Seen that. So yeah. I remember meeting um, the entrepreneur founder of Metrobank, an American gentleman called Vernon Hill. And he explained to me he was launching the first new high street bank in the UK for 150 years. And um, this was back in 2016. And he said he was going to use technology because he said the existing banks were using technology of the quill. <laughs> and he was going to come in and, and absolutely disrupt it. Well, his shares floated at £20. And this week, they've been trading at 39 and a half pence. So I don't know if the wow. quill is is going to prevail here, Willie. Wow, wow. And we mentioned last week about the great news about Iron Brew. I see this week that Greg's are on a roll, but an interesting story. Sales are up 20% in the third quarter, year on year. But analysts say that the growth is down to Greg's willingness to quickly close underperforming shops and try different locations. Is there a lesson here for businesses about failing fast and trying something new? Well, I mean, well, it's something that we coach in our scale-up programs. We, we say if you're going to fail, fail cheap, fail fast, and then learn from it and then get back on. I think Greg's is one of the best-managed businesses in the whole of the UK. Um, the other thing that happened in the high street this week is um, Sharon White said she was stepping down from John Lewis, um, one of our great department stores. I mean, I sold my 
remaining stake in House of Fraser, goodness, almost nine years ago now, Willie, because I didn't see a future for department stores in the UK High Street. But um, Sharon White is throwing in the towel there as well. Yeah. Some really good news if it all comes to fruition. The Inverness and Cromarty Firth Freeport, good old Roy McGregor, is forecasting up to 10,000 new jobs and three billion of investment could be created. These figures come from its outline business case. On the face of it, this is great news. But are these big projections, do we think it's possible? Well, well, it's like any other business plan, every business plan, and I must have saw over 10,000 business plans in my business life. Um, not one of them has did what it said it would do. It's either did better or it's did worse. But I think up in Inverness and Cromarty, I, I think they've got a real chance up there. It needs decisive leadership. It needs people who really understand what they're doing. It needs a wee bit of luck, but I wish them the best of luck up there. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, we, we touch on it every week, you know, but this is obviously an area where we have been saying for some time that Scotland has so much to offer in the renewable space. And that territory up there is absolutely, you know, it's first class for wind turbine and even for um, solar <laughs> and on the good days, right? <laughs> but definitely for tidal. So, yeah. you know, I think that the, that area... And obviously you've got clever people up there, you've got Ian Woods, you've got, you know, Roy McGregor, people who understand that can help us on that transition from, you know, the activities of the North Sea with oil and gas to the new way of delivering you no know, renewables. And I think the one thing that's interesting here is, is that in forward planning, if you honestly believe that this is going to create 10,000 new jobs, well, where is the plan right now for all the new housing? Yep, that's right. true. Well, listen, I hope they're listening to people who know what they're talking about, Willie. Um, another good business story, this caught my eye because um, I'm a great fan of, of Heinz Beans. Other brands are available, of course. But first of all, I saw that 730 million cans of beans are sold each year in the UK. But we can't grow that special type of been in Scotland because of our climate, but scientists at the James Hutton Institute in Aberdeen have cultivated a homegrown bean and they're working with Heinz and this would save all of the miles. You know, we import these beans from Ethiopia and Canada, but imagine if we could grow them in Scotland and lead the world in beans. Beans make Heinz, that's what I say. Uh, that's interesting. That leads me into a wee story. I watched a programme <laughs> last week about um, singular huge infrastructures. So it showed uh -huh. you like the Detroit car plant in Michigan would be like 1.2 million square foot and the, the Tata steel plant in India would be ever. And I couldn't believe it. Heinz Beans, their factory, I think it's in Wigan, was number three in the world as the, the largest warehouse for manufacturing in the whole of the world. I think the factory <laughs> was nearly something like two million square feet. Oh, uh, dear. You would definitely need an electric scooter to get round there for pod to pod. So it's, it's usually you that tells the funny wee stories, but I've got one quick funny wee story about Heinz beans. It's the only meal I can make is beans and toast. And when I was running sports division, Monday was always the big night we were in there to 10 o'clock at night and I'd come home, I'd be revved up, right? And I'd say to Marion, anything for my tea? Ah, well, you're too late for your tea. And so I, I go in the cupboard and I look and I say, darling, is there, is there any beans, any Heinz beans here? And she went, no, there's probably not. So I was like, oh, Marion, come on, beans don't go a day. Why is there no beans? Beans. And she said, don't worry, Tom, there's no bread either. <laughs> it's, it's funny uh, when we were growing up in the gorbals and obviously things were tight you know and you're at home and you're always hoping there was something for dinner and I remember one day going in and saying to my mum what's for dinner and she says hundreds of things I says good she went I beans <laughs> <laughs> Tom you're always reading books and you're always got something to tell us about the what's, what's the book of the week this week so the book of the week this week Willie I'm glad you asked it's Michael Lewis. Now, Michael Lewis is a favourite author of mine. He wrote the big short 
He's a fantastic writer. He's a former tr um, financial trader turned author. And he's just finished, and it's very timely, the book is called Going Infinite, and it's about Sam Bankman-Fried, who was the crypto guy who is facing a huge lawsuit in America, and they're doing jury selection this week. And it really is, I mean, I finished the one in Elon Musk, which is, again, um, I would say it's a must-read for any serious business person. But this book, again, Sam Bankman-Fried, is very different. He's not normal, didn't go to normal schools, but he, he's a real, he, he was a math prodigy. So he loved maths and his mind worked in a certain way. But I was really interested in a Glasgow connection to his story. And that is through a guy called William McCaskill. Now, William came to see me, actually, and he was educated at um, Hutchie Grammar, south side of Glasgow, and he became the youngest ever Don professor at Oxford University. I think he became that at 29 years old. It's very unusual. And he he came up with this term of effective altruism, which basically he, he came and challenged me and said, look, Tom, you're doing a lot for charity, but I think you could be doing it better. And here's the maths. If, if you want to put the money in, then the most money you should put is to helping people in Africa because you'll save the most lives there. And it was a really challenging time. And I, I brought him along to one of our board meetings. But anyway, he, he got to meet Sam and Sam listened to his story. And, and he basically said, right, I'm going to make all this money and then I'm going to give it away. But one of the gems, I've not quite finished it yet, was... Sam sat down and he said, right, what is one of the biggest threats to the world? And he came up that it was Donald Trump. And he said, right, he said to his team, how much could I give Donald Trump so he didn't run to be president of the United States? <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was very cleverly worded in the book because I'm sure Donald Trump didn't say this but the figure come back at $5 billion. Anyway, well, I'll leave you with that. <laughs> it's very topical. This week, obviously, um, in a court in, in New York, there, the Attorney General, again, following on for last week's story, is saying basically that Donald Trump wasn't worth anything, right? I know. But, but it's I interesting, know. Tom, it's apart from saying, you know, uh, no, it is worth 500 million because I could get a Saudi prince to pay that. But the, the uh -huh. best thing for me is that when you look at how they put it forward to the lenders, he put he put his flat in the Trump Tower down at 33,000 square foot when he knew it was only 11. <laughs> right? But, but, well, I didn't, I didn't get it, right? So yeah. he's, he's getting charged for overvaluing his assets. Yeah. Fair enough. But you and I know when we go for a loan, the bank doesn't take our word for it. They send people in and go over every square inch and yeah. and and test everything, and then they still don't give you the money. But well, anyway, but on that uh, basis, Mara Largo was done by a quantity surveyor and was valued at twenty eight million, and he submitted it worth seven hundred and thirty five million to borrow. So <laughs> it's fair to say that the people lending the money, right, were not on the bill. Well, I think we should go and see them, Willie. I want to meet Donald Trump's bankers. That's who I want to meet. As, as, as my son said many years ago, when people were trying to work out if you were a millionaire or a billionaire, he said that he was a zillionaire. And I said, as much as that mean you're worth? And he says, zilch. <laughs> Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Jilly Wilson and Amy Livingston, directors and founders of Cheeky Chompers. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. 
Your Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guests are Julie Wilson and Amy Livingston, directors and founders of Cheeky Chompers, the innovative British baby business. Julie, Amy, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Nice to see you. Nice to see you again. And it's so nice to, to, to hear you, Amy and Julie. I know you came through the hatchery, Willie's Hatchery in Glasgow, so it's, so it's great to have you on the show this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Back in the gorbals. <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners, would you like to tell them a bit about your story, how it all started and, where, and right up to where you are today? Yeah, so we're 10 years old this year, um, but Julie and I met when we were um, in our antenatal class. We just had our first babies and we were trying to learn about this whole world of parenting. Um, and we used to all meet for coffee every week and our babies were forever dropping their teethers when they went through that sort of teething stage. And we found ourselves saying, I wish someone would invent a teether that stayed attached to the baby. So we decided that was a great excuse to have a bottle of wine and get some uh, pads and pens out and try and work out what could we develop and design that could solve that problem. Because ultimately about trying to solve solve a problem, which we did. We came up with the world's first chewable dribble bib, the Necker Chew. Wow. And fast forward 10 years and we now have 12 different products, about 100 different SKUs, and we sell in a range of different channels across the world, like we're in retailers like John Lewis and Mamas and Papas, we sell online, we sell through Amazon. So we've developed this brand, really, that's all about developing things for parents to make their lives easier. So every single product has an intuitive twist as parents ourselves to say, how can we make parents' lives easier? Fantastic. So tell us a story about how you decided then you were going to make an enterprise out of this. Do you know, we actually, because at the time we were on maternity leave, we both had then like young babies. We'd gone back to work, so we were working like three and four days also in addition um, and but we'd had this idea and we just thought we need to we need to take this further so we went to a consumer show and showed our first samples um, and we got such amazing feedback from parents especially grandparents actually who looked at the product and were like that is so obvious that makes such sense um, but it had never been thought of before so we then went to a, a trade show and showed it to the buyers of retailers and that's then again as a kind of world's first product we really got great traction with those buyers and at that point we knew this was worth scaling or, you know, taking on from there. Mm -hmm. And Amy and I both naturally, I think, had always been entrepreneurial. In all our previous roles, we'd had different little businesses that we'd run. And actually, we just met. We'd never met before. So we met someone with a real kinship, with a real sort of drive and determination. And we thought, we could do this. And even from the start, when we were literally in our back bedrooms and posting it out through the Royal Mail and things, making, um, getting the products from the factory, we just thought, we want to build a brand, something that actually... Is, is seen as the best in class. And so that was something really from the start. It wasn't just a like, we'll just yeah, do this as a lifestyle business. we didn't want to look cottage industry, kind of. We mm-hmm. wanted it to be a brand from the beginning. But behind the scenes, we had no idea about so many different things that we were trying to then work out at that <laughs> stage. You know, remember John Lewis saying, so what size of pallets do you deliver in on? Um, is there a size of pallet you'd like us to deliver in on? <laughs> we can be flexible. Uh, so there was lots, a huge learning curve um, mm-hmm. because neither of us had been in retail or um, product design or anything. So we've learned a huge amount over the last 10 years. I think that's one of the nuggets, though. Yeah. I think naivety is beneficial in the early days to think, well, we can do it. That's yeah. fine. I mean, we don't know what a pallet is, but we'll find out. You know, it was that kind of attitude of mind, I think, almost for anyone starting out, I think is a good thing to... So tell us again about the help you got at the start. Oh, we were really, um, really fortunate, actually. I think Scotland's community in that respect, there's lots of things that you can apply for. And we um, had gone for Scottish Edge and we were awarded £50,000, which was an absolute game changer for us. So that really enabled us to, actually at that point we'd already launched, enabled us to develop our second product and go from being just that one product company and really grow from there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we went on Dragon's Den. Right. So that was really brilliant <laughs> PR exercise. So they were yeah. slightly aggressive to us, but actually they loved the brand and everything. And it went out to 4 million people. Yeah. Um, and then it was syndicated all around the world. So from a brand awareness, it was brilliant. And then we won the Entrepreneurial Scotland Emerging Business of the Year. Yeah. And that was in terms of positioning and credibility and, and also just meeting a new network of people in Scotland. It was unbelievable. We'd never have had access to all those guys yeah. before, and we did. And they helped a lot over the piece, that mm-hmm. network. Yeah. And scale up. So we've done... Um, so laterally, yeah, the last few years we've been on the 
Hunter Foundation Scale Up program. Right. Well done, well done. Yeah. So. yeah, it's been so good, really. I mean, I don't know that there's any many other places that actually support and have yeah. such an entrepreneurial culture and network. Yeah. No, but it's great to hear, ladies, about all this help because that's why we do it. And I think a, a really important nugget for the listeners this morning is the help that you gave each other in the early days. And I'm sure you're just still going on to do it. It's in the early days of starting your business, it's the loneliest time. And therefore, if you've got help there with a fellow entrepreneur, it, I mean, just just tell us, how, how did that help you get through the tougher times? I think it's so important to have, now whether it's a co-founder or co-director or it's a network, it's absolutely vital to have somebody you can act as a sounding board because there are many times that we've said to each other, if we weren't in this together, I'm not sure we could keep going mm -hmm. because it's yeah. tough, you know, it's it's brilliant and when it's great and it's tough when it's tough, you know, mm -hmm. and us being able to divide and conquer, us to kind of sound each other out about ideas has been fundamentally part of our success, I think. Yeah, nobody else gets it like you're co-founder or the person that's in it as deep as you are um, and there's been a lot of challenges over the last few years especially and I think yeah we could have easily just said I've had enough if I was on my own definitely um, I think we probably wouldn't have got to this this stage mm -hmm. but the fire in our belly keeps going yeah, yeah. it's a great point. and what is and so in that journey what's the one thing you can remember where you know, you'd one of those moments that that kept you awake at night you know what was the was it COVID or was it something else before that? Some didn't manufacture in time. Yeah. When did you think the world was going to fall apart? <laughs> when we started, we are, all our production was in Glasgow in yeah. Scotland and we felt that this worked for us as we were growing. Um, and we'd had some production done overseas in India and China, but not a lot. And then overnight, our factory in Scotland was bought and literally we thought the world had fallen <laughs> through the floor. Wow. And this was in August 2019. So we flew to China. We um, had huge orders from the White Company and John Lewis, people you just don't want to let down. Um, and we really had to look for the right quality and make sure we had all the logistics and everything set up there. Um, and we did. And the first production came off production in January 2020. When COVID started. started. Wow. Yeah. We went from one um, yeah, situation to another. So we'd had all these sales and no stock. So I mean, our revenue cut in half that year. And then we went from having lots of stock that we'd invested in and then the rest of the world started to close. So we were then, we went from one extreme to the other. Um, and actually with COVID, it was extremely challenging. I mean, the sort of retail landscape changed. Um, but also we then went from... COVID straight into Brexit and actually we were exporting about 70% of our sales were export and again really um, kind of, that wasn't overnight but I mean there weren't many solutions early on um, and even the experts were finding it hard to guide you on how to get through um, Brexit so we went from that yeah one thing to the to the next to the next it's been and then now cost of living crisis so we're kind of you know yeah but it's amazing how deep you can dig yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you've all been Absolutely. through it you know yeah. and and when Covid came we were like oh my god we're in retail and we're in distributors gone overnight yeah. so we'd be pivoted and managed to sell 80% online and we looked at other opportunities worked with John Lewis on their websites and you know so we kind of looked at that we couldn't be exporting as much as we were Brexit we lost 40% of our business overnight for a year we couldn't get into to Germany and France but we looked at other countries like we grew in Taiwan and across Australia New Zealand and then we just had to keep flight of foot sort of, yeah. uh, to keep going. T tell us a wee bit about your experience of Dragon's Den. <laughs> Gosh that was that was quite terrifying. It was one of those things where you watch it and you say I will never be that person that goes on and doesn't know their figures and then you find yourself standing there being asked all these questions going <laughs> uh, we were trying to do a calculation at one point and Deborah Meadow was like well, what's the value of that order ladies and I was going um, six pounds and you were going times two thousand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was also eight months pregnant with baby number two at that stage so we thought they'll go a wee bit easier on us you know no no they didn't. Uh -huh. um, I remember Duncan Bannatyne saying if you make those figures I'll eat a hundred of your bibs. And we smashed the figures that they thought we couldn't make. So it was showing a year later. And by then we'd smashed these targets. So we went back out in the press, you know, are you hungry, Duncan? Um, which didn't go down very well. Um, but <laughs> we, every every opportunity for PR, you know, yeah. we're going to take it. So, yeah. um, But it was yeah, brilliant it was PR. I yeah. mean, that it's just it's just amazing in a way. Even now, we've just come back from a baby show and um, we have a scene on Dragon's Den on there and everybody talks about it, you know. Yeah. How did you go on? What was it like? 
week. Yeah. And it does get you into export markets, actually, because yeah. it is syndicated, so it's good. Have you extended your product range? We have. We've now got 12 different products. Um, and that's really our, the future that we see for Cheeky Chompers is to keep developing and, and extending that range because we can grow with the age and stage of the baby. So the brilliant thing about our market is it's constantly renewing, but that's also a challenge because you're constantly trying to let new people know about that your brand exists. But if we get a customer that we can see through the first three years of life rather than just, you know, the first year, for example, then that gives us lots of additional opportunities. So that's really um, something that was ongoing mm -hmm. and also we just launched into the states so it's now about and um, we're going out for investment to be able to get to be able to really maximize the opportunity we're in some great conversations with some big retailers in the states but we really need that's our next stage really for us to expand our product range and to expand our market so the at the moment the two you still own all the equity um most we did yeah. a crowdfund yeah um we'd actually 20 it was in the midst it was actually just <laughs> we just closed our um funding as we went and as our factory was then sold so that was like the good news and then straight into the not so great news yeah. but um yeah we did a crowdfund in 2019 yeah. um we'd worked with mike welsh and his team to go out and look for investment um and actually we found that really challenging that's probably one of our biggest challenges yeah. of our journey so far um to to secure any investment we just didn't manage to get any vc investment so we moved to crowdfunding which as the consumer brand has got loads of benefits. Um, but, yeah, that was really our experience at that stage, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. so. yeah. It did feel like it was difficult to create credibility. I think it is a bit more difficult as a female founder. We, we're in a great group called By Women Built. And uh, a lot of that is, is recognising that only 3% of all the investment that's given to, is given to female businesses. And we felt that in our experience. We didn't let it stop us, but it was really like you had to almost prove your credibility because we were females and we had a baby business and it almost felt slightly like you were... Mm -hmm. Patronised, you yeah. know, a lot of a lot of the meetings. Yet we were had a growing business, and yeah. you know, it, so I think that's a lesson. I don't know for the Scottish investment community too to just look at that. Because yeah. so, ladies, tell me because this is this this comes up quite a lot, and yeah. we've had Anna Stewart on the program, who led a, a very interesting report into this. What would you, if you had this magic wand, what would you do to help female business leaders? What's a couple of things you would just say, we really need this, Tom? I think that's a really good question. That's a good question. I mean, I think if you're talking about leaders who are already in business, I think some, I don't even know if there's mentoring around investments. So maybe, you know, we were with Mike Welsh and his team and everything. We were pretty credible in terms of the people we were with and ourselves or not. And we still didn't get it when we had a growing business. So right. maybe it's about learning about being more bolshy or be, being, I don't know whether we were too understated. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's learning that kind of whole journey around investment. Mm -hmm. I also think timing is everything. And we probably left it. So we had that big hockey stick curve of growth. And then when we, we didn't need investment at that point. And in hindsight, which is obviously a wonderful thing, it would have been great to have had the advice to go for investment when you're act when you're when you're growing really fast. Yeah. Um, because by the time our sales slow down, which obviously they do, your product cycle, um, you're looking at it, it's just harder, I think, at that stage. So I suppose in hindsight, to try and get investment earlier on in the journey would be a yeah. good. I think in hindsight too, to always go for more than you need. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you always need more. <laughs> yeah. No, these are great points for people listening this morning, ladies. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And is there any particular countries you're obviously you know you're exporting? that have kind of jumped on your product more than others? So is it a big seller in Italy or Germany? Or? Do you know, from the start, we were really surprised. Our biggest export market for many years actually was Taiwan. Wow. Um, wow. And <laughs> do you know, another it's lesson, hilarious. we tried to always work with big distributors and actually you're then one of... Um, like a huge suite of products if you're working with the bigger players often whereas the export markets that we've had most success in have usually been a small company who really take ownership of the brands that they're taking in um, and we worked, we've worked brilliantly with our distributor there for 10 years actually, we've had mm -hmm. her from the beginning We went over and it was just hilarious because 
we had queues of people all want to have their photos taken with the founders <laughs> of Cheeky Jumpers. So we were like big in Taiwan. Because um, you look so tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did feel slightly self-conscious in those pictures. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the export for us happened really quickly because we'd designed a product that didn't exist and we knew it would get copied, which obviously it did, even with all the IP portfolio that we tried to build up. Um, but so we went far and wide as quick as we could because we wanted to be first to market in multiple markets. Yeah. Um, so so we were, yeah, but yeah. Taiwan was the best. And, mm-hmm. and where is headquarters now? Out in Roslyn, just outside Edinburgh. Right. In the country. <laughs> Brilliant. And so what was the, you obviously you're going to the market now, you're trying to raise funds. So what's the, what was the goal, what's the aims, the, the short term aims and the long term aims to, for the growth of the business? So we want to double our turnover in the next year. What's your um, turnover just now? It's around 1.4. Yeah, OK. Um, and then with investment, then we're looking at much higher than that over the next three years yeah. um, with a view to sell. Right, wow. So that's our plan. Is that the plan? That's the plan. Build up and sell. Yeah, yeah. I think for us, um, to being 10 years in, I mean, we hit that turnover early on in our journey and then we've really um, become quite stagnant over the last few years because we've been fighting all these other things all of the new business that we've gathered over the last few years has actually had to then replace things that we'd lost which is such a shame because those things really could have been layered on top of what was already a really good foundation of business for the first say five six years um but yeah we've got exciting plans and yeah so we just got into waitrose and, and we're working with yeah, big companies in america and stuff brilliant, so brilliant. it's exciting really to get that growth and how many staff do you have now so there's 10 of us wow brilliant yeah. brilliant yeah. So if everyone who came through the the normal you know conveyor belt that we have through East Park through the you know through the scale up is fantastic. With someone on a few weeks ago who I think now they've got twenty eight staff. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to look at everyone who's been through that. There must be hundreds of small companies now, but they must be into the thousands now. The amount of jobs that's created and obviously that's how me and Tom got involved in it, and that's what it was all about. So it's it's brilliant to hear a, another success story. So in, in the last couple of minutes we've got left here, don't be ashamed to give a big plug to whatever you're trying to do. <laughs> so it's a some other new big mm-hmm. product that you're ready to launch it's a secret is there, is there something to wait for always there's always yeah. lots of ideas bubbling away under the surface but yeah yeah, yeah. we've got we've got brilliant routes to market and yeah. now we need more products to go down those routes to market so we've got some exciting ideas for new products um, and also we've got a really exciting opportunity in the states because right. we've got lots of things yeah. happening there so let me give you a wee bit of warning about the states if you have a good idea, if the uptake in the States is quick, it could kill you. Mm-hmm. So be ready. Be ready. If you if you launch and it's, you know, you, you don't want to over-promise and under-deliver. This is a great phrase you use all the time. So I've been dealing with Walmart for 27 years, but I've known people who have went to Walmart with a product uh, and it's it's went gangbusters and it killed them. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. they couldn't deliver in time. Mm-hmm. So be strong enough to say, you know, guys, let's have a pilot. Let's see how it works, and and don't pretend to them that you're this size. You know, when mm-hmm. you, but you want to get as 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 big as they imagine that you might be. So mm-hmm. I, I I know a couple of guys a few years ago and they'd done really really well with their pitch, and they got in, and they got into a hundred stores and they were doing really well. And Walmart gave them an order for three thousand stores, right? Oh, which yeah. they could not. And and the the thing that was wrong with that is Walmart were ahead of the game with their marketing when they weren't talking enough, mm-hmm. you know. So just a wee bit, it's a huge opportunity if you make it in that market. Just mm-hmm. make sure that that the, the that you walk before you can run, or you could end up, you know, not making that at all. But mm-hmm. brilliant story. <laughs> Delighted you have come on the show to share it with us and. It's, it's fantastic to see people who have done for many years doing so well and more power at your elbow. <laughs> Thank you so Thanks much. so much. So, Julian, Amy, I think there's some brilliant nuggets in there for all our listeners this morning. The fact, you know, that you're helping each other in the early days, the fact that, you know, it's tougher for female entrepreneurs trying to raise funding. We need to keep on about that. We need to come and keep coming up with solutions for that. But but you are role models for this now. So I think there's been so many good points this morning. We really look forward to you keeping in touch with the show and continued success. All the best. Oh, thanks, thank guys. you. And thank you so much for all that you do for the Scottish entrepreneurial community. Yeah, it's really much appreciated. appreciated. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. The Go Radio.
Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper-based processes into organized and digital workflows. Go radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So on the board you can't afford this week is a good friend of the show, Sean McGrath, who's the CEO of Entrepreneurial Scotland. Welcome. Uh, thanks, Willie. Sean, welcome to the show. You're the man behind the scenes here. Now you're coming on the front of the mic, so it's good to hear you. Thanks. It's great. I'm, I'm used to being behind the big glass screen over there and watching you guys in actions. <laughs> Actually a bit more nerve-wracking sitting in the chair than I thought. Do you want to tell our listeners a wee bit about what you do, what your organisation does, and then if you've got a question for me and Tom? Yeah, no, great. Thanks. And look, apologies to you guys. You'll be sick of hearing me talk about this. But um, so I'm the chief exec of the Entrepreneurial Scotland Foundation, which is uh, an independent charitable foundation. And our vision is to inspire and develop the people of Scotland to build the most entrepreneurial society in the world. A pretty big and hairy, audacious goal. But it's, you know, it's really simple because for us, an entrepreneurial Scotland is a prosperous Scotland. Um, and we need prosperity. We need people to be out there creating prosperity for the people that don't have it themselves. So in a nutshell, really, as an organization, we exist to build the belief and the connections that individuals need to become more entrepreneurially minded. Uh, and for us, uh, an entrepreneur is someone who recognizes a good idea and then executes on it. It's not just necessarily about starting a business, but it's about driving and impacting growth in organizations. So we, we really do two things to, to do that. So we have what we call the Salter Scholar Internship Programme, which basically we work with all the universities in Scotland and have done for the last uh, 16, 17 years. And we spend a quarter of a million pounds every year and seven months working through those universities, finding the best young people that we can, people with that spark in their eye, the, the EQ as opposed to the IQ. Um, and then we put them through a pretty rigorous uh, selection process and then we send them out on internships over the summer with companies all over the world to really connect them with their potential. And, you know, I always call those the, the jockeys of the future, the people that will go on to, to lead businesses and organizations. And then the other big thing that we do is we uh, run a membership where we bring together people who are in the thick of trying to grow and build businesses in Scotland, people who are trying to create prosperity. Uh, and we give them the encouragement and the connections and the belief that they need to do it. Brilliant. And how many members do you have today? So uh, we used to have about six, 700 members, uh, but then this small thing called COVID came along. Yeah. Um, and as you can imagine, uh, we uh, an organisation that sends people internationally and then gathers people in rooms didn't fare so well with, uh, with COVID. So we had a previous membership model that had about six, 700 people in it. Um, and then we obviously had to pause it over COVID. And this is, believe it or not, us relaunching that model now and bringing it back to life. Um, and one of the things I was keen to, to talk a little bit about today is the, the new version of that membership model, because in the sort of three years that we came off the scene, networking has changed. You know, people aren't as willing anymore to turn up on spec to an event where they don't really know anybody um, and they may or may not meet somebody uh, of interest. And most of the business leaders we talk to now with the advent of team and Zooms, they're just so time poor. They're even more time poor than they were before COVID because every last hour is filled with meetings of people online. So a lot of people came to us and asked us, um, look, see if you're thinking about the membership, can you think about something that's a bit more focused? Um, and, and that actually I'm a bit more guaranteed that I'll meet the people that I'm after. So we decided to take a, a leaf really out of your book, uh, Tom, in terms of peer-to-peer -peer support um, and cohorts. And so we're relaunching the membership now, not as, uh, you know, you pay a fee and you turn up to an event if you want to turn up to an event, but actually as a cohort experience where you join a group of up to 12 leaders who are just like you in a similar stage of the journey as you, 
And together you go through a series of events that are sort of specifically designed for you. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. So I think we've got a better understanding of what Entrepreneurial Scotland does. And just, just a quick question before we go to your question. How many people now do you think have been through the, the Saltire Fellowship sort of, you know, initiative that you have? Yeah, so uh, uh, great question, uh, Willie. So we've had almost 2,000 students wow. go through that program. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, the the impact, you know, look, and you'd expect me to talk about it because I'm the CEO, but genuinely we had our uh, return reception where we brought the students together, like a passing out ceremony after the summer. And the energy in the room is just incredible. The impact it makes uh, for these individuals is, is incredible. And, and the bit that I'm most proud about is that we don't give these kids any advantage. You know, there's no, there's nothing that you can tell us about you or your situation that will give you extra points. Um, we are ruthlessly focused on finding people who we think will go on to become brilliant leaders. But despite that, almost two thirds of the people that make it through our program are from what's called a widening participation background. Yeah. And the bit that really gets me excited is that there are people who may not have had access to an opportunity like this and certainly hadn't access to the connections that come with this. Uh, and that is transformative. Yeah. So what's your question to the board? <laughs> Getting down to it. So for me, the question is, you know, we're trying to rebuild this membership, but in a different way. And we're trying to capture the energy and the excitement that, uh, that we know people who are entrepreneurial or who want to lead in an entrepreneurial way have. And part of our heritage is something called the Entrepreneurial Exchange, with, which both of you were very heavily involved in. And anytime I meet someone who comes from the exchange days, they just talk with such passion about the energy and the, the lift that that gave them. So I want to ask you guys, from, from your experience, when, when we're bringing these people together and we're trying to create that energy and we're trying to create that sense of a movement, you know, what should we think about doing um, and how should we do it? And then also, uh, you know, how important is it? And did you guys find that experience with the exchange to be really useful? Tom, I think you can go first on that one, since you were there before. Well, uh, well, I mean, the whole reason we came up with the Entrepreneurial Exchange was there was a few of us who'd had a bit of success and we wanted to give something back to those who were just getting on the first rung of the ladder. And and that was the whole thing, Sean. It was, you know, to start your business, it's a lonely time. And to find like-minded people, you know, we heard it from the ladies from Cheeky Chompers, you know, I think they were they articulated really well about having joint founders help them because they could bounce off each other. Other people don't don't have that um, benefit, and therefore the entrepreneurial exchange was almost like a family. So we we really believe the peer to peer support, the peer to peer learning from entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs is the secret sauce in Scotland, and you know. We've um, come up with the Scale Up Scotland conference at Glen Eagles on November the 3rd, which we're doing in association with yourself and the Scottish National Investment Bank. And we're going to hear from great scale up businesses. We're, we're going to hear from Susan Hockey and Willie Hockey for the first time together about how that business was started um, from humble beginnings, but went on to be one of the biggest facilities management businesses in the world. We've got Matt Moulding from the Hutt Group. We've got Dame Sarah Gilbert, who come up with a vaccine, probably the biggest scale-up business in the world at the time. And what we're trying to do there, in conjunction with yourself, is to say to other entrepreneurs, come along, listen, be inspired, but you'll also meet other like-minded people and you just don't know where those connections will go. If you just sit behind a screen, a Zoom screen, Sean, it ain't going to happen. You've got to get out there. You've got to meet real people in the real world. And that's where the connections are made. This question obviously is about, you know, the power of power networking. And, and I can tell you this, honestly, I'll never forget the first time that I went to the Entrepreneurial Exchange event in Glen Eagles very similar to the one that Tom's going to have on the 3rd of November. I remember being in that room and looking up at a, 
you know, a desk and there's Tom Hunter and Gerald Weisfeld <laughs> was there and Brian Souter was there and Jim McCall was there and Richard Emanuel was there and I thought, wow. And everybody would always give you two minutes for a chat and help you and they'd give you longer. I never felt anybody went, who are you? Yeah, great, move on. And it's only probably maybe the second year when I went and I realised, and then I went to some of the events that were not the Glen Eagles event, and I went to some other smaller events, and I realised the power of entrepreneurial exchange. And it was huge. And there's no doubt that that was an inspiration for me, right? Wow. That I was looking at people running about. I, no doubt, Tom. And I looked about, and I remember uh -huh. one time as well that you had a bigger event in one of the hotels and you had Richard Branson there. I don't know if you remember That's that. Right. And you gave him a wee badge, yeah. you know, and all that. Right? And I thought... This is this is like uh, a night like I've never been at in my life. Here is a room full of people who could help me, right? And it wasn't <laughs> about giving you work or doing it like that. It was about it was about how they could help you with. And there's there's no doubt that the nuggets that that me and Susan learnt for those meetings helped us put all the building blocks together for the business that they went built. And and what it done as well is it taught us a way back then about how they absolutely should help other people. Don't forget what other people done for you, and we've tried to do that. You know, uh, you know, over the years. So I think that you're spot on. That that'll, if you can work out how you can bring that magic back, that one night or those few events or whatever it may be, be a good start to dish out flyers up at Tom's night out in November. <laughs> <laughs> the next, the, you know, the next cohort of the the big. But no, I think, and it's funny you say this at the moment. See, because of that gap. Yeah. If it wasn't for the show, I don't think we would know who was coming up. Yeah. Right. Whereas when yep. when when East, we you know when the Ontario Exchange was going, you always knew there'd be a wee snippet. You know, someone would tell you, "Who's this guy over here?" You no, know, John McGlynn, He's got a business doing that. Who's this guy over here? It's the boy from Bullet Express. There was all these wee stories. You know, David and there was his partner. So all the things that you learned through that. So I think that if you can pull that off again and you can start to put that together, that would help your members and it'll help the country. You know, so that would definitely, if something you could do, and, and if there's anything at all that we can help with that, we'd be, I'd be delighted to help you. Well, guys, that's a, a fantastic bit of advice, and and, uh, and and thank you for the offer of support, and and thank you really because you'll you know have very kindly agreed to to talk to the first cohort, um, and thank thank you, Tom, and everyone at the Hunter Foundation for for giving us the use of Blair Castle for the original uh, for the kickoff retreat that we're doing for it, and yeah. I, I think just to add to that. That's the bit that we're most excited about is the fact that we, you know, we're really lucky in Entrepreneurial Scotland. We get to meet people like you guys all the time. And, and I'm always blown away by how much you guys want to help the next generation coming through. But there's no conduit. There's no mechanism to take all that great goodwill and, and direct it towards those brilliant businesses like Cheeky Chompers that want and need your advice and help. And, and that's what we're doing with the membership is creating those events where, where you guys will meet each other. Yeah, and let me just finish with a wee story from that. Here's the power of that power networking. I met Gerald Weisfeld at one of these events, and two years later, me and him were partnering to buy Celtic. So there you go. <laughs> the power of networking. <laughs> so, and, and David McCutcheon has never forgiven you, Willie. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Sean. That was brilliant. Good luck. No, thanks a million, and I look forward to going back behind the glass. <laughs> John, good luck, and you're very welcome to, to host it at Blair. That's what it's there for. All the best. Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate it. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print, and IT solutions. Go Radio.